Honestly, I think women are uniquely suited for this business. We're caregivers at heart. We like to collaborate. We're hard workers. And, and once you get involved with patients, actually, you feel like you're in the healthcare business. Welcome to Wiser Conversations podcast. I'm Dina Ladd, the Executive Director for the Missouri Cures Education Foundation. For the past 10 years, I've been focused on protecting and promoting medical research in the state of Missouri. And during this time, I've met amazing researchers and scientists and entrepreneurs. Seven years ago, I started the Women in Science, Entrepreneurship, and Research events. The purpose of these events is to connect women all around the state to each other to share their stories, their challenges, and opportunities. So I hope you enjoy the Wiser Conversations podcast, which really highlights the work of women in science, entrepreneurship, and research. Today, I am so excited to have with me Mitch Myers, the CEO of Bee Leaf Medical. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks, Dina. So, Mitch, um, I'm so excited to talk to you about all of the businesses that you've started. You've been an entrepreneur over and over. Um, but early in your career, you were one of the highest ranking women at Anheuser-Busch, and you created the Spuds McKenzie campaign. So how did your time at AB influence you to go on and become an entrepreneur? So when I hired into Anheuser-Busch, it was really in a new products role. The, the spec was to introduce a light beer from AB. And so <clears throat> once you get into sort of that new products role, it's really fast and furious. There's a lot of iteration that goes on. Your staffing isn't the same as if it's a normal ongoing brand. And so in that extent, it was very entrepreneurial. Um, I spent about three years working on the Bud Light brand, and I think what's so fascinating about that is everybody thinks it was such a success in the beginning, and it was not. We really had to work hard to make that brand a success. And once it got on the road to success, then I was put in charge of all new products for the brewery, which was wine coolers and bottled waters and soft drinks. And again, very fast paced and um, you know, really fun and iterative. So at the time that they were promoting me into just an ongoing brand, I was bored. I could read two newspapers a day. I could go to lunch and I just had the bug, you know, to keep doing that, uh, you know, more fast paced thing. So that's when I decided to leave and start an agency with some friends. Okay, that that is great. And knowing you personally, yes, you have so much energy. You have more energy than almost anyone I know, which is fantastic. Um, so tell us about your first business, was, which was not just a little operation. I mean, your company was the largest marketing agency in St. Louis by the late 90s. So what were the challenges and opportunities of starting your own agency? So in the beginning, we were not large. We called ourselves, you know, like the Three Stooges. I had two male partners who were very talented creatively. Um, and literally, when you go from a big, you know, a big company like Anheuser-Busch, where all the doors are open for you. And now all of a sudden you have to go out without a portfolio and pitch to clients that sometimes are total strangers, you know, how smart you might be. Um, it was challenging in the beginning. And, you know, I took a pay cut. I walked away from stock options at AB and I thought, 
you know, we can do this, we can build this. And I can tell you the first couple of years were pretty meager and we had to write some personal checks to pay, you know, some employees to join us. But we, we stayed true to our mission, which was to be as creative as we could and to work hard for our clients. And we did ultimately build that agency to five offices around the country, 350 amazing employees who are still in my life today. I love all those kids. Um, you know, and the other thing that was different was you didn't have the budgets that Anheuser-Busch has. <laughs> so, you know, working for other clients, smaller clients, I remember Snapple was one of our first big clients and they hardly had any money, but we were so passionate about their brand and the people that, that owned it, that, you know, we did a lot of, of, you know, work on our own and ultimately built it into something. Well, that's fantastic. So then you became involved in the cannabis industry. And first you opened Nature's Care Company, a Chicago-based dispensary. And then you opened Bee Leaf Company in St. Louis. So how in the world did you make the decision? And what, what really got you into the cannabis field? I know everybody feels like that's just a wild pivot that doesn't make a lot of sense. But in, in 2003, we actually sold our marketing agency to the Interpublic Group, which was an international ad conglomerate. And so I retired thinking I was going to become mother of the year and take care of my high school and starting college age kids. Um, and at the time, my kids were had decided to go to Boulder, Colorado. And so my husband and I spent quite a bit of time out there and being retired, I could spend more time. And that is when cannabis um, was passed medically in the state of Colorado. So I really watched with interest what was happening there. Not that I was ever really a cannabis kid. I was not. I didn't know anything about it. But I ended up having friends that were caregivers. And what I saw them do and the people I saw them treat just blew my mind from brain cancer to lupus to epilepsy. And they would share with me the successes that they were having with really sick people. And so when Illinois passed a law for a very strict medical bill, um, I thought, you know, this would be an opportunity to try my hand at home. So uh, some investors came together and we went out and pitched for full licensure and ended up only getting a dispensary license up in Chicago but it got me into the business. And so we built it out, we staffed it, we learned how to run a medical dispensary. And then at the same time, Missouri opened up a very narrow license for two operators. Um, Senator Schmidt at the time got this passed through the House and the Senate to grow CBD, process it into oil, and treat very severely ill epilepsy patients. So I actually worked with our law firm and made application and we got it, which was, it was fabulous because we were really able to help a lot of people. But at the same time, it allowed me to put together a team, a small team growing CBD, which is a form of a cannabis plant at our Earth City location, and then be prepared for when Amendment 2 passed um, to be able to expand that into full medical. You were actually the one that that piqued my interest in it when we met three, four years ago. And as you know, with Missouri Cures, I mean, that's something that that we care deeply about is um, helping patients and moving therapies and cures forward. And so tell us a little bit about the benefits of the CBD products. 
So CBD is, um, you know, it's a non-psychoactive compound in the cannabis plant. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the United States government in 1999 patented cannabinoids for uh, ischemic insults, uh, oxidation, which, you know, really can be the source of all disease. So that patent has been setting out there very quietly. You know, I think our government knows that there is uh, efficacy in the, in the plant. They're just trying to figure out, you know, how it's going to be used. But we learned firsthand um, in producing this plant, just extracting the oil, not taking anything out of it or putting anything into it and treating some of the most seriously ill people I have ever seen. And we worked very closely with Cardinal Glennon in St. Louis and had quite a few pediatric cases. Um, That convinced me that this plant has power. And the interesting thing is that is one cannabinoid out of a hundred in the plant. You know, we know about THC, we know what that can do, but the opportunity for research is in all the other 98 cannabinoids that we're starting to pull apart and learn about. Um, There's an interesting fact that a lot of people don't know. St. Louis University was involved in 1999 in discovering the endocannabinoids. So this is our internal system and why our body responds so positively to cannabis. And that really wasn't known prior to that time. So that kind of explains why many, many of the doctors don't really know or understand, you know, how this plant works. So once we got the license, we were approached by St. Louis U's research group to actually um, create a, a CBD formulation that they treated mice models with dementia. And they are about to uh, publish a report on that. And we're very excited about, uh, you know, the things that they learned. And we're very hopeful that SLU will continue to do research around full medical cannabis with mice and people. Well, that's one of my questions I want to talk a little bit more about. But first, I want to um, talk about, so Missouri approved medical cannabis in 2018. And so explain the landscape of the business here in the state and the enormous impact that it's going to have for patients and also the economy in our state. Yes. So the good news is we are able to do constitutional amendments in Missouri and 1.6 million people came out and voted in favor of medical cannabis, which is a huge number. Um, So the state, the good thing is amendment two sort of laid out many of the rules and regulations and the Department of Health was tasked, tasked with getting this program going. And I think they've done a really good job. Um, it does take a while. You have to write the application. Then people have to apply. Then you have to find your real estate. Then you have to put your team together and raise your money. And then they announced uh, who won the applications. It was a blind scoring process whereby all of the applications are redacted without any names Um, that anyone could recognize, and a third party judged these applications. There was so much interest, there were 2,300 applicants for about 380 licenses. Um, So it was obviously something a lot of people wanted to participate in. Now that the license are granted, everyone has been in the fundraising stage over this past year, which has been very interesting in the face of COVID. Um, but many of us are getting up and operational. 
Um, we will we have a uh, cultivation facility that is operating and producing. We have a dispensary that's ready to open. The first testing lab opened several weeks ago, so that's what we've been waiting for to put the two together and be able to get the product to patients. That's you know third third party lab tested. The statistics around the country are for every dollar that is spent on cannabis, meaning at our cultivation facility or a dispensary or manufacturing, there's an additional $3 spent in ancillary services. So if you think about the legal profession, accountants, software, security, construction, all the real estate that gets leased and are purchased as a result of this, Missouri is projecting almost a billion dollars in incremental revenue for all of those ancillary businesses. Um, and likewise, the jobs that it creates. Um, we believe that in the first full year of operation, you'll see six to 7,000 jobs that are made available. And these are all good paying jobs, mostly with benefits. Um, you know, it's not dangerous. It's something that people wanna do. And, and we had 2,200 applications for people wanting jobs with amazing backgrounds, you know, nurses and people that have had longtime careers that just really believe in this and want to get into it. So that's really exciting for us to see. Yeah, I love how it's going to play such a big role in our economy in the state. And I also love that some of the universities are really getting involved in training people for jobs in the cannabis industry. Um, I think you're familiar with uh, St. Louis University. Right, right. Mm -hmm. We worked with them early on and put together that curriculum outline. Two of our staff are actually teaching in it, but it is, it's an online course that people can take. There is a general course where you just learn about cannabis and the industry and what the opportunities are, and then you can specialize in cultivation or manufacturing or dispensing, and you can continue to take courses. SLU was thrilled. They were oversubscribed when they announced it. And I think it's only going to get better. And we, and we need training in the industry. There is a lot to know in some of these jobs. And, you know, I, I just find it so exciting for people. Yeah, and I love, I was just contacted by Northwestern University up in St. Joe, and they also have an amazing program, a right. certificate program. I think you'll so, see more of that. I think you'll see more of that around the country. Yeah, I do too. And so you touched on, congratulations, you received uh, numerous licenses. And so tell us a little about, about each company. So cultivation is where you're actually growing the plants and then you harvest dry and you can actually sell packaged flour from those cultivation operations. We chose three different locations, one in the current one we were in in our city. So we took out our CBD plants when we got commencement to grow medical, hoping that we could be you know, fast and first to market because there's such pent up demand. There's 70,000 people with cards. Um, we also took a facility downtown in Cher on Cherokee Street. And then we took land out in Jonesburg out west to build a new greenhouse out there. And so we feel like we're spreading jobs around, which, you know, some people applied for three licenses all in the same place. We like the fact that we have three different growing styles and we're able to employ people 
in three different places. Mm -hmm. So that's cultivation. The second license is a manufacturing license, which many people call a MIPS. And that's where we will buy that flour from our cultivation operation, bring it into our manufacturing facility, and you turn that into oil. And then that oil will go into a myriad of things. It can be tinctures or patches or edibles, such as a gummy or a chocolate. Um, there's so much innovation coming out of the whole uh, manufacturing side. And we have two of those licenses. And then the third type of license is a dispensary, which is more traditional retail. If you think of like a pharmacy, that's kind of what a dispensary is. So there are quite a few companies that got dispensary only licenses. Mm -hmm. um, there's a pharmacy couple, um, I think near St. Joe, that decided to get out of their independent pharmacy and turn that into a dispensary. So obviously they're incredibly uh, qualified, you know, for something like that. And they're excited to be working with a new product. So in that regard, they will just buy products from all the producers around the state. So having a vertical license, we're really blessed about that because we can provide ourselves and other operators products. And at the end of the day, this is going to go back to my roots of consumer packaged goods. I mean, it's really going to come down to brands. What brands do people trust? What brands, you know, have efficacy and create talk value? Um, people are very big on social media about sharing successes that they have. If they go into a dispensary where they get great service and people are knowledgeable, that goes out and it, it's known around the state. So, you know, I will ultimately be back to my roots of creating brands and supporting brands and, you know, trying to reach consumers. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out to Stephanie, who is uh, in charge of your manufacturing, another amazing woman. Um, fabulous. So, yeah, She's she fabulous. She's really dug in and learned so much about this. And we just brought on um, a naturopathic doc, Jamila Owens, and she's going to be incredible too. So she's been formulating uh, for us, you know, every day I come in, it's we don't have cannabis yet to put in it, but it's like, try this gummy, put this on. <laughs> no, so. I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so as you know, I am so passionate about research and moving therapies and cures forward. And so in your opinion, when will we see research really taking place in the cannabis space? So every, you know, everyone that is able to do this type of research is still, uh, very thwarted by the federal government's, you know, this schedule one. Mm -hmm. I really think depending on what happens in this election cycle, we could see the federal government getting out of scheduling cannabis next year, early next year. And what they want to do is just decriminalize, stop throwing people in jail for small amounts of cannabis, um, and then allow for banking um, so that all of us can be more transparent. I mean, if you have to work in cash, it's very challenging. But I think that that needs to get rectified. If the federal government steps back that from that and says, we're no longer scheduling cannabis, it's up to each individual state. That's when I think you're going to see the research jump in. Because they feel like if they get any, um, if they get any money from federal programs or grants, that it risks that 
if they were to do cannabis um, research. So all of that has had to be privately funded, which you know what a challenge that is, raising dollars for that. But I am I am certain that you're going to see major institutions step up. Um, and I know St. Louis U will stay involved because they've been here from the beginning uh, and, and really see what this plant can do for us. I mean, if you look at Israel, they're 25 years ahead of us. Mm-hmm. They have <laughs> protocols that they're testing now for autism, cancer, um, you know, even COVID, um, looking at cannabinoids to calm the cytokine storm. I think Canada and Israel are testing that because CBD tamps down inflammation. And if you can keep your body from overreacting your immune system, that's very helpful. So again, there's 98 more cannabinoids that we need to know about. And I think it's going to be fascinating, you know, what if the government just steps back from that federal scheduling. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I get I get articles every day about um, how it can affect Parkinson's and a lot of the neurological diseases and so forth. But like you said, you know, a lot of it's coming out of the research is coming from Israel or Canada or the UK or places. And so it's, it's going to be exciting to see what happens soon, hopefully soon down the road. But um, Mitch, I can't thank you enough. I know how busy you are. Um, and thank you for moving cannabis forward in our state and paving the way for women to get into the business. Um, Honestly, I think women are uniquely suited suited for this business. You know, we're caregivers at heart. We're, we like to collaborate. Um, we're hard workers. And, and once you get involved with patients, actually, you feel like you're in the healthcare business. So that's hard to give up. You know, I probably would have retired again a second time, but I can't quit this. It's just fascinating to me. Um, And I, you know, I I encourage everybody to get in that has a passion for it. Well, thank you for getting me involved. You know, I sit on the MoCam board. You and I sat around my dining room table with some other amazing women to come up with the, the women's group, We Are Jane, to really encourage and support women in the business. So, Thank you for all you do. I call you Canna Queen for a reason. I really appreciate uh, your time today. Thank you for listening to Wiser Conversations. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Dan English is the producer of Wiser Conversations. I'm excited to be joined next time with Cynthia Chapel. She is a research and development chemist and the founder and director of Black Girls Do STEM. So until then, stay well.